Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Character Witness. This one's going to be a little bit different this week. Um, I am my own guest. Oh. Uh, so what's going to happen is we're going to talk about my characters. I've got both Ryan and Bill here to help with the questioning, just in case Hello. I don't ramble for like an hour about myself, which I want to do, as I love myself. So I'll cover the, the basic things. So I've been playing D&D for about two, three years now. Um, I was never really that big on it growing up. I wasn't exposed to it until like a house party when I was like 14 and we fought some skeletons and got wrecked and I was like, eh. And my next sort of exposure to it was just in like TV shows. Uh, there's always like a D&D episode of every like cult classic or whatever. Like you got the D&D episodes of Community and stuff like that. Um, so I thought this looks fun. Um, in terms of role playing... Uh, I had quite a bit of experience with just like uh, interactive forum based role playing like we all used to be on the Resident Evil one that we used to do um, where you sort of had to survive in like a city and all like the different boards were set up in different sections of the city which is quite interesting um, do you remember you... the Final Fantasy 7 role play? yes oh, that's a throwback yes adventure do you guys remember FF7 role play? what a time yeah. to be alive um, oh. also just stuff like X-Men which really used to annoy me because I'd play, like, say, Nightcrawler to a T and people were playing other X-Men. Where of character? Like, why Why is the guy playing Cyclops making him really liberal and friendly where he's meant to be uh, a strict man with a stick of his ass? Anyway, regardless. <laughs> so that's my sort of background in roleplay. Um, I decided to play D&D with my pals here because it just seemed like a fun thing to do. Um, and, yeah. So, the first character I ever made, uh, who is still alive today, so you know, somehow, all right, uh, rub it in, <laughs> is a half orc barbarian named Flobbert Bobbert. Now, you're probably thinking that's a really dumb name, and it is, and there's a reason for that. So, Flobbert's entire clan was brutally murdered. Um, he doesn't know who by, he doesn't particularly care, he wasn't really old enough to like be traumatized by the passing of his family, he was literally a baby. Um, he was a very quiet baby, so he wasn't like screaming while all the maelstrom was happening. So I imagine whoever attacked just didn't realize he was there. Once he grew big enough to like crawl, he just crawled off into the forest and came across an old man <laughs> named Hans Dancer Necromancer. Now Hans it was once okay at magic, and in his old age, he is extremely senile and thinks he's the greatest necromancer going. So he was trying to do some spells, and at the same time, Flobbert comes crawling along. So rather than any sane person would look at young Flobbert and say, ah, oh, that's a baby half-orc, he instead thought it was a demon that he'd summoned. So he immediately adopted this demon as his uh, protege or whatever, and named him Flobbert Bobbert, because he's a senile old man and he's not really all there. Um, so he raised this half-orc barbarian... <laughs> In a, in a cave in the woods, so Flobbert, he, he raised him well, like, as much as he was a necromancer, he wasn't particularly evil, so Flobbert's a pretty nice guy, um, and when he came of age, you sort of went off into civilization, because he thought there must be life beyond this cave, um, but when he went to civilization, sort of started trying to mingle with people, he would get made fun of for his extremely stupid name, it was then he realized he had a terrible temper, and he would leave just bloodshed in his wake. And because he'd been raised quietly in the forest with a 
a necromancer but a well-to-do old man who really just sort of like pawed around not doing anything overly violent it terrified him so he decided to become a pacifist <laughs> now oh, God. <laughs> growing up in the forest he can't read or write and he wants to spread the word of pacifism so instead of reading or writing and making pamphlets out of that he draws pictures of good things happy things like suns flowers and hands them out and tries to talk to people about pacifism and it never ends well he's renewed his vow of pacifism around i think at last count before he left the party he was 59 times it's probably up to like 70 now because every time he rages he considers that a failure so he needs to um redo his vow of pacifism now he left the current adventuring party to become a headmaster at orphanage because he was under the impression that if he continued to adventure with the party he would just keep getting into conflict and keep breaking his vow so he hung up his axe which is definitely only used for wood now and he is a headmaster at an orphanage at a place called astral rock and he's uh he's quite good at it he's a big general giant but yeah that that that's flubber in a nutshell when you're talking about Flubber and that he had almost like the the craziest imaginable upbringing, yes. How did you um? How did you think of the idea of after all of that shit, after all the awful stuff that had happened, that Flubber was going to be someone that was like tightly wound when it came to his name, but also like a really good-hearted pacifist at the same time. Uh, it's partly because, like, Flaubert's entire existence is a what I would like to call a happy accident. So, like, it's like all this like when he was young, like his entire uh, family getting just wiped out. Like, it never really affected him because he wasn't old enough to comprehend anything. I imagine he would have been traumatized if he was able to comprehend any of it. But no, he just wanted one day his family wasn't there. He just crawled off. Um, but when it comes to his name, because that's all he's known, like all he knows is being raised by this man in the woods, he thought his name was fine. And because of his blood, like he is a half orc and he is like he comes from a clan of barbarians, he's never really had um, a reason to be annoyed. He's lived a quiet life with this old man who just mm-hmm. doesn't really, like as much as Hans Danzer was a necromancer, he wasn't really evil. He didn't have any grand plans to like open a portal for his patron or anything. He just wants to mess about like just doing like little magic experiments so mm-hmm. he's be- really just been raised by a harmless old man well i say harmless he once <laughs> defeated our entire party um, <laughs> what but, a game that was <laughs> but sort of like yeah like that so do you like when he got angered by people making fun of his name that was really the first time he realized he had it within him to like have that much rage and sort of so from then on he's just sort of try to curb it because he doesn't he, that's in to him that's not his natural state after all these years of being like just quiet living in the woods and now he's had to unleash this what could be described as a demon inside him but it's just his nature really um when i think of flubber as well from like an outside perspective i think of um like a gentle giant, but also like a little bit of like Jekyll and Hyde almost, like that sort yeah. of that switch that goes off in his head. Was there anything in particular that made you um, consider those kind of like tropes or made you like consider that kind of personality? No, honestly, um, the reason I made him a, a pacifist is because I didn't think I would care enough about Dungeons and Dragons to keep playing. Um, my whole thing was the reason, because I, firstly, I picked a barbarian because they're really simple to play um so i was like all right i'll not be too 
I'll not have to think about too much when creating the character. My mechanics are fairly simple. And also with this pacifist, uh, I did end up using it, but not to like get out of D&D, just to get out of using Flubber. I was like, if he's a pacifist, if I decide one day um, this isn't for me, I can just be like, my guy just doesn't agree with what the party's doing. He leaves forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out to be a really good... I did enjoy the game, and it turned out to be like a hilarious narrative tool. So it really wasn't with anything in mind, but it does like, it does reflect stuff like Jekyll and Hyde and like, sort of like characters like Wolverine or like the Punisher who can be measured in combat, but, like, they get to a point where they just balls to the wall, let's just mm. slap everyone's shit in. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was actually... It was originally just a backdoor for me to get out of Dungeons & Dragons in general. <laughs> you imagine if it's just, like, one day it's just, like, you know, Flubber's just considering uh, being a pacifist forever. Okay, bye, guys. <laughs> Didn't like the first <laughs> session after the first combat. Yeah, it's in for me. Bye. <laughs> no, I don't think I like this rage mechanic. <laughs> it's too um, complicated. When you're talking about that narrative, when you're talking about the um, interactions you had with the rest of the party, yeah. what did, what do you think were like the, the best interactions? What did you enjoy most about them? What didn't you enjoy about them? Um... Well, the, the only thing um, I would say I didn't enjoy was, well, not I didn't enjoy because I enjoyed the whole process, but like I think the only thing that um, Flobbert didn't enjoy about the party was sort of like they used to start combat without him even having the chance to promote pacifism. Like say we would walk <laughs> into somewhere, I'd be just about to open a dialogue with a bandit and someone would like shoot him with an arrow or some shit. And he'd just be like, oh, dear God. Or it would just be a case of outside of the party, someone would like hit him with an arrow and then he'd just go berserk. But the best thing about interacting with the party was um, he sort of had a quiet respect for Ren because Ren's a paladin, even though he had a big fucking mace, hammer. I can't remember which one Ren used, but like he would knock people shit in. But overall, his, like, his calling as a paladin was to protect people, so he's more defensive rather than offensive. So he sort of like had a respect for him. Um, you really like Torrin, not morally, <laughs> but just <laughs> as a dependable, like just just an ally. Because there was that one session where we were trapped in some like underground place. We were fighting that plague dude who was like the first big like villain we really were pursuing. Mm-hmm. And there was that hallway where me and Torrin just had to hold off like a billion demons that were trying to like smash our back doors in. And like as much as him as a character doesn't like knocking people's shit in or violence of any kind the fact that he was able to hold his own like with his friend like for that long and they both got out of it relatively unscathed was as much as he wouldn't like to admit it it was thrilling to him to like have that um mm-hmm. in terms of well let's let's talk about <laughs> before we get on to <laughs> the main antagonist which is devon let's <laughs> talk about uh Cibo and miscrea he he liked Cibo in flashes because Sibo, like, was a good person at his core. Mm-hmm. But, like, again, he would, like, fire off fireballs before uh, Flobber had a chance to do anything. He did admire the fact that Sibo is very protective over little animals. Because Flobber likes little animals and stuff, living in mm-hmm. the forest. Um, Miscrea, he wasn't really sure what to make of Miscrea. It was just, like, because she came into the party a bit later on. She could shapeshift into things. Um, and with her being a tiefling... Like, there's always going to be that sort of, like, oh, I know what you are with, like, his, his dad, well, his adopted dad mm-hmm. being a necromancer. He's, like, he's aware to a certain extent that she is demonic, so he wasn't really sure whether 
she was good. Like, over time, he obviously, he was fine with her because, like, she proved her worth and stuff. But the first few sessions, he was like, ah, that's the sort of stuff my uh, hands deals in. I'm not really... Yeah. Um, and Devin was an insufferable cock. Um, <laughs> I think at the beginning, he, he liked Devin a lot because Devin was like, I'll teach you how to write and stuff. Um, and it was sort of... Because Flobert had such a genuine want to spread pacifism and a genuine want to learn, the fact that Devin took advantage of that and was making him write, like, rude words instead of <laughs> yeah. what he was meant to be doing and, like, making Flobert look like a fool whenever he was trying to, like, uh, sort of build bridges. And on the surface, it's a very, like, funny, like, slapstick, oh, what's going to get up next? But, like, when you think about it at a very base level, objectively, when you remove the humour... Thanks to Devin's, like, cantankerous actions, Flobot murdered a bunch of people that he shouldn't have murdered. Yeah, I guess I never really thought and about then... it. Like... <laughs> so, to, so when, like, uh, just to give background to the people uh, listening, um, every night Flobot could do a check to see if he could comprehend language better as part of his... It was just like an in-game mechanic of just him just learning to read. And then the, it was quite a while because he didn't have much intelligence. Um... And then when it finally clicked and he finally realised all of the stuff he'd been writing down was bullshit because Devin was making him write words like penis and cock. Very childish, but again, it resulted in people getting murdered because no one would listen to Flobert when he was trying to build bridges. Um, He just snapped. He had these gloves that it was given to him by, I want to say, Devin, the flame gloves. (laughs) And the way he used to keep track of his renewing his pacifist vow was he put notches on his axe to remind him not to use it again. But at this point, you just burned all of that part of the axe off, like, and then just went for for a good few sessions. He was completely consumed by his rage, not fully barbarian rage, so he wasn't going around like swinging his axe. But he called Devon to his room, threatened him, threw him against the wall, and then from that point on, like during fights, if he could have saved Devon from something, he would not do it. He would have just like moved to help someone else. Um, there was times where he would sort of try and orchestrate things so something would kill Devin. Like, so he would... <laughs> if he saw something... Like, if two enemies were running towards him to get to Devin, he'd go for the one with more HP. So, like, he knew that one would take him longer to turn around to deal with the other one because he knew that would have a chance to kill Devin. Um, so he was very opposed to Devin for a long time. And then, sort of, when we got to the island where he would eventually retire to, um, he saw, like, the orphanage... And we were at a festival, the Frost Vale Festival, I think it is. Something mm-hmm. to do with that. Yeah, it was like a winter right. festival. He sort of um, just sort of saw the kids like playing and stuff. And he used the kids to like play pranks on Devon, like to throw water balloons at him. And sort of like the, the children's like readiness to be silly and like just do whatever he said he realized he had an influence because of his size the relationship he had with him yeah yeah and he was like oh like and so he thought maybe i should be focusing my time on that rather than this hatred i have for Devin. so he just sort of told the party look i've had a word with the the orphanage i'm going to be the headmaster like i can't really continue on this journey anymore and that Mm. was the well not the end of flubber because he we literally met him last session again but that was like (laughs) the end of his journey because is my character, and I think that was my fault. But like putting this back door on him, um, eventually he was a he was a character that was on a self imposed timer, um, because like the whole breaking your vow pacifism renewing it while funny and while like all right it would have gotten really old if I'd kept him going for like a year, um, yeah. yeah. So I think 
So I think like <laughs> moving on to another character was um, probably the best thing to do for Flubber. I never really thought about um, those people that Flubber would have initially thought were irredeemable, and even though he had tried to, you know, um, like you said, create a dialogue and trying mm. to get them to put down their weapons, and then it being the worst case scenario and the last resort of having to fight these people. I never thought about that kind of like ruining Flubber's chances of getting a good um a, a good sort of idea of pacifism because yeah. none of these guys were approachable about it and, and that like, being all Devin's fault and i really wanted to that's why like whenever he did like snap and he was killing people pardon me i used to make it as visceral as possible just to show like the contrast between who he actually wanted to be and who like it, like who because i didn't want him to be defined by his blood but like so like say mm. like when he snapped he was like digging his axe into the ground and just mashing people's faces against the flat bit until they died and shit like that because he was just i wanted it to be like a very stark interest uh, uh contrast just to like show that like what the fuck like this guy is like going around he's all about peace but then he can do that to someone unhinged and like yeah. so the fact that like devon's actions and like certain circumstances or even not just devon's actions say like somebody who just didn't flat out didn't want to listen to him would like fire an arrow at him and sort of like if none of those people had done any of those things these terrible visceral horrible things wouldn't have happened to them so it's mm. like don't poke the bear basically was the entire character of flubber <laughs> just don't yeah. poke the bear so i had to sort of um scale him back a bit let him calm down um and just speaking with mike about like flubber afterwards because obviously you have to keep uh mike updated on what i want flubber to be doing just in the orphanage like he's mm-hmm. he's he'll not have had like any sort of opportunities to snap unless there was something going on and there was evil about mm-hmm. and he needed to stop it I think it's a good point as well because it, I think some people uh, um, have troubles knowing whether to retire a character or when that character has like run its course. Yeah. Like you said, like there's only certain, there's only so many times that a character can, if they take pacifism really seriously, break that and renew that vow over and over again before you're like, well, well something has to change. And being able to, you know, set that aside for the good of the character, so it doesn't just become like a, a caricature almost, or you know, like a um, like a mockery of what you intended the character to be, I guess, kind of, is, yeah. is really important. Was there any points before you went to the orphanage um, that you thought about retiring the character, like earlier or later, perhaps? Or No, my, like, I honestly thought Flubbert's end would be he'd finally get to the point where he couldn't stand Devin anymore, murder <laughs> him in front of the party, then just get put down by everyone. Because I think there's, a, um, there's an Avengers story called Avengers Disassembled, and like a bunch of bad shit happens to them right at the start. Ant Man gets fucking vaporized, and then the whole the all the bad shit happening at the start makes She Hulk go insane, and she just starts she murders Vision in her like, in how angry she is. She throws mm-hmm. a fucking semi truck at Captain America, beats Captain Britain into a pulp, and like they have to, they have to put her down. Like uh, like they don't kill her, but they just knock her out. Because, like, someone mm-hmm. has to stop her. I, I envisioned it being like that. Like, Devin would just say that one comment. They would just be like, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going to fucking kill you. Push him over the edge. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I thought it was going to be. And, and But I found myself, I thought that would be a disservice to the character. Because I was finding, I was, like, looking for, like, 
oh this is the session i'm gonna snap and like there was net the, the comment never came and it was sort of like mm-hmm. me waiting for a reason and then i thought like yeah. that's not good role play because it's not organic it's just me like wanting the role play to fit my own motive so mm-hmm. once i thought like my character is now i'm now considering my character's single story more important than what everyone else wants to do i was like he needs to retire and mm-hmm. so i thought I'd yeah i think as well like i mean Devin, you know he knew how to push flobber's buttons but he never would have intended for you know for his own safety for flopper to just turn around and snap at him so he knew to to keep it at a certain level and if flopper was waiting and waiting and waiting for him to go beyond that level like it's it's going to end up becoming kind of um what's the word like manufactured almost like um it would have like it been booked (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it wouldn't have been a shoot so yeah, like, uh, and it was also a thing of like, Flower probably didn't want to murder Devin, uh, like, in his heart because like, as much as he hated him, like, he is a pacifist and he's trying to fight against this rage inside of him, and it's sort of like he wouldn't want to murder one of the party in front of the rest of the party who he does consider his friends, um, mm-hmm. like as much as like he didn't react when Chaffinch returned and was like, ah, oh, Torrance dead. He's like as much as he didn't react, like Flobber's just not a very emotional guy, but it probably would have cut him up. Like that's his like for for a lack of a better if anyone when you look at the characters he interacted with, Torrin was his best friend. Like mm-hmm. he didn't agree with anything that he wanted to do. Like his Torrin wanted to like smash people's windows, stab everything, heresy is bad. Whereas mm-hmm. Flobber, although he wasn't actually born of heresy, as far as he's concerned from what he's being told by his dad, he's been summoned from a fall. <laughs> So like he is heresy, living heresy. Yeah. So he's like, but no, this is like he's like that's my best friend, and then like, sort of, and I imagine that's the reason why there's still blood on his axe. Like as soon as he found out Torin had died, he probably went out in the woods and just started fucking beating the shit out of deer or something. <laughs> yeah. That's a great image. I mean, it is, but like you, you, like you guys travel with him. You saw like what he's capable of when he snaps. Like, he wouldn't be like, oh, beautiful deer. He wouldn't be like, my friend's dead. Ah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So yeah, uh, just, just piggybacking off of uh, the last comment about like retiring Flobbert. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, so the world that we're currently playing in kind of suffered like you know a bit of an apocalypse. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happened. Yeah. If a uh, touch wood, Chaffinch lives forever. But if anything ever happens to Chaffinch, do you think he would uh, ever revisit Flobbert? Maybe like write a bit more into his story, or are you happy with just leaving him where he is? Like, do you think that's him done forever now? Um, no, I think he, I think he still got his. I think he still got fighting him if needed. Um, I think like say Touchwood Chaffinch gets killed next session. Um, I think just because of the proximity, because we're on the island where Flobbert lives, he would pick up his axe and he'd join the party again. He'd be like, right, I'm gonna fucking just kick oh, everyone shit in because my son's dead. Yeah. Um, mm. However, if it was sort of like say if like uh, we a few more sessions were on the other side of the world, um, I'd have him replaced. I have to replace Chaffinch with the other character in his family, um, Starling, because it just makes more sense because he's also an adventurer, whereas Flobbert can't leave the orphanage. But I yeah, think if it happened like, on his doorstep in Astral Rock, he probably would join mm-hmm. the party again. So, I have a question about Flobbert. So in that two-year time skip where we had the good guys lose pretty much, yeah. um, does Flobbert have any remorse about you know not being there for... 
uh, you know, when the party lost? Or did he think he was doing what his, like, correct calling was by being at that orphanage and protecting kids from what could have been, you know, um, a, a very different world in that two-year time frame. I don't think in the two-year time frame he knew because Astral Rock's very, like, even before the lockdown when everything happened, it's very mm. secluded, it's very keep-to-our-own type thing. As much as Flabber isn't of that mindset because he likes to talk to new people and be like, hey, have you heard about pacifism, lads? Um, he wouldn't have known. Like, the, the first, like I said, like, the first inkling he had that his friends were dead was when Chaffinch returned and, and told him. Um, mm-hmm. So I imagine he does now um but not for the the entire two years i think that's also just a case of him not knowing but i think he definitely feels like he could have helped protect people because for his entire time i don't think flobert went down once like he never got knocked out he was just he was always the one still standing so i think he Mm -hmm. probably thought he was a vital element that could have turned the tide even though he probably wouldn't have (laughs) judged you by it because i wasn't there when everyone died but it sounded like a fucking bag of shite (laughs) yeah but, uh, so yeah, like Flower, I think Flower still got some of an arc to have, but I think it's as a supporting character, not as. I don't think I've ever, I'd ever bring him back like fully. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I think there's still a lot of stuff for him to do, but that's as like a as a character in the background on like Astral Rock and that sort of thing. Yeah, if the world also, wasn't, um, <coughs> pardon me, if the world wasn't fucked, I was gonna have him help um, Ruff's village, just like send a bunch of orphans and himself over to help build everything and then sort of like merge the two schools together just sort of thinking oh, like man. that's something that would be real nice in my opinion we start going into the industrial age and now Flubber supplying the child, the child labour <laughs> we're no, trying no, to be good nothing like that <laughs> very like simple things for children to do he doesn't want to put them in danger yeah, that does sound like a nice wrap up we'll get there by the end of the campaign <laughs> hopefully <laughs> we'll finally make a village so yeah, I think that that that's it for Flobbert, unless Mike wants to use him for anything. But I, I think I'm having much more um, fun playing the Chaffinch. Uh, yeah. So we'll go on to the Chaffinch, my beautiful boy. So the Chaffinch comes from Astral Rock, which is where uh, Flobbert retired to. And although Flobbert is his dad now, they didn't know each other at the time when he joined the party. So what happened was, um, Chaffinch was an orphan who never got adopted. Um... He doesn't know his parents. He doesn't really care. He doesn't have. He's similar to Flobbert. Like he doesn't have that trauma of like never having uh, a mother and father. Like it's not something because he's never been around, so he's never had to consider it. Uh, nobody adopted him because it's a pretty small community, um, and the orphans are well taken care of for the most yeah. part. Um, but he got to the age where they couldn't keep him at the orphanage anymore because he was like a young adult. So they gave him uh, a house. It wasn't much. It was only a little house, like a state-owned house type thing. Probably like the Astral Rock equivalent of like a council house. So he lives in there. And because he he, he spent like the last 17 years or so like just playing with other kids and fucking about in the forest, he to get his like... Because he never really grew up. So to get his thrills and stuff, he steals things. So he's like burrowing into people's houses, even though he calls himself the Chaffinch, which is a, a bird. Yeah. <laughs> um, stealing things. And that's how, like, the even though they didn't know it at the time, they got their first glimpse of him when he went into the guard station to get that item. And, like, there was a hole in the ground and it was gone. Um, it was just because Chaffinch saw it was shiny and wanted it. He didn't know what it did or anything. So he just took it. Yeah. Um, and then, but he's the the worst criminal in his initial stage because he likes to boast about like how good he is at everything. 
So after immediately after he stole that thing, he fires his massive flare gun at his house, like because he's got a flare gun which pops and makes a big bird pattern in the sky that looks nothing like a chaffinch, but it's just a general bird thing that he had made by his granddad uh, Hans, um, who didn't know it was going to be his granddad at the time, but like Flobber had it on him. So what happens is um, the party who don't know what to do next because he's just figured out the mystery torrent almost died <laughs> it's it's some, did die. yeah it's some downtime um they see just an intriguing bird pattern in the sky and they they meet the chaffinch in his little shitty shack <laughs> and immediately the only person in the party likes him a sebo <laughs> because they're very similar <laughs> they're very loud they love to boast about their feet and stuff and yeah, so Chaffinch joins the party and immediately is just in over his head. He's never left Astral Rock in his life. He doesn't believe dragons exist or monsters or anything. The only evils he's ever had to deal with are like guards running away from them, um, particularly scary forest animals like bears and stuff. But with him being a wood elf, he's usually like hopping through the trees, so he doesn't really have to deal with it. Basically, he has this idea of himself, which is not nothing like who he is so he's very brave to begin with because he doesn't realize the amount of danger that's actually out there all he hears is this group of ventures are down one member i can fill that i'm a i've they got nothing to help. do yeah. yeah this is my calling like th- yeah this is this was meant to be like they like in times where people need a hero a hero steps up this is my turn um so he just hops on this adventure and in the first conflict he gets into he's immediately knocked out by a dragon um <laughs> or a baby dragon sorry so it's a wyvern i think yeah. yeah yeah and so he wakes up after the fight he's resurrected well, not resurrected he's brought to and he's like hey this is clearly a man in a, a suit using pyrotechnics because he's aware of magicians um and like people who use like and those like um, suits where people dress up in, there's like seven of them, like to make like a dragon. It's usually made of paper mache and stuff like that, and parades and stuff. Um, so he goes to take off the head of this thing to reveal who's underneath, and he pulls, and it's just like muscle and viscera underneath, and he's immediately just starts vomiting, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, what the fuck's going on? Oh god, I can't do it." And then, so then when we go to fight the brass dragon. He's just, which was a couple of sessions afterwards, or maybe it was an immediate session afterwards. He stays his distance, doesn't go in close at all, just throwing pinions at it from afar because he's terrified. And he didn't think any of this shit was real. Ren goes down in the fight. He thinks he's seen a, a guy die in front of him. And then the party manages to resurrect Ren from the dead. So in the space of around two to three days, this kid who is the most fearless dude on Astral Rock has realized dragons are real and death is meaningless. <laughs> so he immediately becomes depressed. And st- basically, for those listening, he started off as like a very loud person going, I'm the Chaffinch! <laughs> That's not a Chaffinch noise, by the way. He's never actually seen a Chaffinch in his life. He just saw it in one of those bird watching books in the community library and just liked the look of it. Um, and then from that point, he's just speaking like this for the rest of... Uh, he doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to interact with anyone everything's just terrifying and he sort of like just goes into autopilot um for the longest time and then he sort of finds comfort next to um Sibo and Ren because Sibo's still as loud as he ever was um so that gives him confidence and Ren just because Ren's the healer 
and now he knows death is a very real possibility, sort of like a little bit scared for his life. But also, he knows if he doesn't protect Ren, <laughs> he can't be revived. So he's like, uh, <laughs> better get this, keep this guy fine. Um, so yeah, and then he, he just went on autopilot for a while, and he was clinic, well not clinically, there's no clinics in D&D, but he was just categorically just depressed for a good seven sessions until mm. um, until the, the, the session where he split from the party, because in real life I was moving house and stuff, I was busy for a long time, um, so I couldn't play for a while, and we just uh, we were tracking down a bad guy, and then there was sort of like a moral dilemma where we got need to get this information out of this guy, but everyone was saying, oh, well, not everyone, but half the party was saying we should kill him afterwards in case he goes and tells anyone. Whereas me, Ren, and surprisingly Sibo, who sometimes goes along with those things, was like, no, that's <laughs> not you Because this dude was fucked. He's like, he's got his, we've got his information. He, was really, he wasn't really anyone important. He was just like a, a scrub who was delivering like information. Um, so we're like, he's, you know, I think he's had enough. Like, if he knows that he, we've beat the shit out of him. You'll know it'll happen again if he continues. Like you, you should turn his life around, or at least give him a chance to. And then Devin agreed. He was like, "Yeah, of course." And then went over and then just slit his throat anyway. <laughs> and that enraged Chaffage. So he comes out of this sort of like, and he wasn't particularly vocal in the in the argument to begin with. He was just like, "No, I agree with Ren because he sees Ren as like, um, is absolutely correct on all things because Chaffage has a very Captain America view of everything. He's like, "This is right. This is wrong." Um, same as Ren so like he sided with him and then to have Devin sort of deceive him like that because undermine him yeah yeah, because Chaffinch never got on with Torrin Torrin tried to kill him on the boat over to their first adventure and Chaffinch just thought it was a jovial trick and backflipped over and was like haha Mishkia sort of was tired of him <laughs> the first time he spoke <laughs> but Devin was sort of like neutral to him like Devin was also like thought he was a bit of a, an idiot but he wasn't like malicious to him and he wasn't trying to fuck with him like he did with Flobbit so he like didn't have any negative views of Devon until that point, because he thought like this idea that he had of this guy. Because Devon was quite impressive to him because he could do like little bits of magic and stuff like that. And it was during that point where Devon sort of like found a bit of courage because Flower wasn't looming over him <laughs> anymore, and he was willing to get into the fight. And he had that sword that was like talking to him, if I remember, or was doing something to him. It could like give him fear or something. Yeah, that was one of uh, Devon's things. Yeah. Um... So he's willing to use that, and like he was getting a bit more stuck in. So he just thought like Devon was a cool adventurer, and then to have him like just suddenly just change entirely and cut this dude's throat. And while Chaffinch didn't know that was Devon's nature, like that was all he knew. So he's like, sort of like, how the fuck could you do this? And sort of kicked him in the face and just left. <laughs> and that's when we all went on hiatus. Um... Just before we. Uh speed into like you know the time skip section i just wanted to roll back a little bit yeah uh because you were saying about how you saw um how chaffinch saw the chaffinch in a book and stuff yeah i was wondering um so obviously he's kind of got like a a bit of a superhero like feel about him yeah and i was just wondering how did you like how did you come up with the initial you know superhero persona and then instantly into just the dilemma of being way out of his head, you know, having like a lot of grief with finding out monsters are real. Was that something you planned from the start or is this just a, like, did this just naturally come up and you thought it'd be fun to do at the time? Uh, initially, um, just on a very simple level, obviously it's me. I love superheroes. So having a guy in D&D who believes he's a superhero is hilarious. But um, yeah. I think the whole, the transition point was just the Chaffinch is just entirely me. 
is based on me. <laughs> like, it was sort of like, it was at a time, like, not to get super serious, but it was a time in my life where I just wasn't very happy. Um, so I was just using D&D as a form of, like, it was just a, a free therapy for me. So, like, it was sort of like I'd been very happy for a good 19 years, I want to say. Life was, like, a few bad things happened, but bad things happened to everyone. And then, like, sort of uh 2015 16 onwards i was just hit with um depression and it was just a horrible thing that i didn't fully understand so it's mm. sort of like i wanted to give um it's sort of like i'd already gotten past it for the most part but it was a case of like i was chaffinch was my way of like vicariously living through someone who had the chance to go back and handle it better and so oh, that makes like, sense yeah so for me as like someone who had the majority of their life be cool and chill everything went right i mean it's I'm poor as shit but i was always happy like i had like nothing wrong with my family i had lovely upbringing all that stuff but then like once things start just dropping around you it's like oh what the fuck like it's more um it's more i feel it was more of a contrast for me suddenly going on the dip of a roller coaster whereas i probably might have been able to handle it better if that had been my constant state i don't know but that's that's just my experience so like to have it i could only really react to trauma as the chaffinch as how i would in real life as like i become very quiet and closed off um which is entirely not me for the most part like i'm a loud idiot bimbo man so (laughs) somebody quote that (laughs) (laughs) so it was just it was just that really in sort of like um just using that just to live vicariously through someone just sort of like because i feel like the way i handled my initial depression and stuff like that was terrible in real life so i thought like i'll do better with chaffinch we're also not shying away from things that were very real to me because i'm always very for the first half of what i was going through didn't want to talk to anyone about it but i find Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier when you do talk to people about it so being able to like just fully express that through a character is fine and like even to this day chaffinch is terribly traumatized by everything but i think that's uh, an integral part of his character now because like he doesn't really hide it anymore like he's very open about it so that was sort of like overcome yeah the inspiration behind it was just like what i was dealing with and also i like superheroes (laughs) (laughs) but to be fair a lot of people have said that like D &D and just role play games in general are very good for like working out emotions that you normally keep bowled up Mm. it's like a safe environment to work for it yeah, and it's sort of like a lot of uh, Chaffinch's fears are my own fears. Um, so after the time skip, all of his friends died, um, and he couldn't keep them safe. So like, what like when Ryan's question earlier about like how did how did Flobert feel about not being able to save his friends? Like, Flobert was removed because he was in like a sheltered area, like where there's not much news got in or out. Whereas Chaffinch had to confront it head on because he lives in the world. He doesn't live like he, as soon as he could leave Astral Rock, he took the chance because like life's boring there. Um, mm-hmm. so he sort of like his he first found out like after that arena fight like when he returned and he was just like he ran away from the party he helped on Whimsel for a bit and they just started like entering like fighting and kung fu competitions and stuff just to because it was one of his hobbies to become like the best fighter to make him a better superhero and then he's like oh Miscreus here where's everyone else he's like oh they're dead holy shit because <laughs> he was like it, in his timeline He'd only just left Sibo, 
Like, he's like, all right, you go, you're going back to the party. Don't feel like I can. It's going to be a bit awkward with Devin. I'll go over here. I'll see you later. And then he never saw me. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to think about because that was actually like a month and a half in-game where you just full-on went into like, I don't want to say sidekick mode, but it was full-on. Yeah. Because we did, uh, just so people watching know, we did like spreadsheets where we'd message our dungeon master about what we went to achieve. And you were very much in the, I want to help out Whimsial, help out Sibo and stuff. I think the only thing that we actively did was Sibo helped teach you how to talk to birds a bit yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very much you just went into like, you know, little brother help mode. And then all of a sudden, like a month and a half of friendship is just gone, <laughs> like in an instant. Yeah. But, uh, and like a part of it is sort of like he was the group's little brother. He was annoying. He's like insufferable at times, but like he never he never got to be the little brother long enough to learn anything of note. So like that was part of the conflict when he found that everyone was dead. Like he was like, uh, I want to continue their legacy, but I don't. They didn't teach me enough to know how to do it, and that's why he just starts whenever something scary happens. He's still scared of dragons. Whenever there's like a, a dragon or worm like creature, he stays at the back. He vomits. <laughs> He's just. <laughs> He's in a he's in a horrible like place in terms of remembering his friends and like he wants to do right by them but he doesn't know how and sort of like so the only way he really can rationalize it is he's trying his best to keep everyone um, safe and we saw it in the session where we were trapped in that altered dimension and that giant fucking creature was floating towards us he put himself <laughs> between it and Mishkria like he wouldn't have been able to do anything but like it's just <laughs> that instinct of like I can't let anybody else die um and i think that's detrimental to him because he's willing to just fucking die now at a moment's notice and and not because he wants to die but because he he he, part of it is he can't rationalize losing more people and he thinks that he isn't as important as everyone else because his entire arc is sort of like i want to emulate all the people i admire but they're dead now I have this new group of people who I admire who are probably more important than me. I need to facilitate them doing all the great things they do. And if that means I have to fucking die, then <laughs> I've got to fucking die. Following from that, this is from like the outside looking in, so feel free to correct me. But yeah. um, I we, did a, we did a section where we went to the Fey World to help out uh, our char- a character that our friend David plays called Sid. He is. He had like a journey. Yeah, I feel like... Because um, obviously, like Chaffinch having trauma has never been too hidden because obviously it came out like the second or third session where chaffinch yeah. was part of the group uh-huh. uh i always felt like the fey world was really big for the chaffinch because it felt like some silent hill dream sequence where you kind of had to face a lot of fears yeah. and like there were moments where you're having like proper breakdowns and stuff uh, i was just wondering was that like was that your plan going into the fey world or did you want to do this beforehand or afterwards did it just feel like a good time to work through it a bit more because i feel like that was a really big section where chaffinch like his personality, I don't want to say changed, but uh, he definitely got a lot stronger in how to deal with things and how to let yeah. things go. Yeah, because um, so it wasn't my plan to do anything in the Feywild. It was just Sid's story, and I was like, okay. But like, there was so many th- so many sections in the Feywild to deal with like sacrifice and stuff, and that's now Chaffinch's character. So like, especially the bit where uh, there was that large stone door to get through to finally meet the people that. Sid, the the red elves that Sid needed to talk to to find his family and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, sacrifice all your memories. And that was, Chaffinch nearly had a heart attack because he was like, um, he was like, I can just get rid of all these memories. I can stop feeling this way. I'll be fine. And then Sid sort of went, no, that's fine. And did it really quickly. 
and that's why he hung behind and tried to talk to you uh just for context for the listeners there was also a red cat mushroom sort of type being who could like fulfill people's wishes to a certain extent but it came at like great cost and mm-hmm. we just dealt with him to reveal the door and it was sort of like because chaffinch missed his chance to get rid of all this conflict inside of him which would have been the coward's way out for him but he just he like he was reaching like he just seen like spectral versions of his friends not once but you would see them again later on before the big battle with that demon like mm-hmm. and uh which is so i'll circle back to this point but it's stuff to do because he's half monk and he's like well not half monk he's like nine tenths monk and one tenth mystic and that was a big mistake for him and I'll, I'll circle back around for that but like so he missed that and then he sort of like lingered behind on the door and was like uh mr red cap dude can you uh bring my friends back from the dead and then the red cap said something cryptic, which was along the lines of yes, but it would have been like a caveat or something. Like they wouldn't have come back. It would have just been like some sort of like trick, you know, how like, um, uh, let's take Ghost Rider, for example. Like when he's like, oh, if you leave, if you save my dad from the crash today, I'll become the spirit of vengeance. And he like, his dad survives a crash and dies of cancer like two days later. It's like, it would have been something like that. Um, mm. So he managed to like, no, it's, it's not you, it's not worth it. And just went in. But what happened with happening in the Feywild, what still happens now, but because he's sort of like that experience has strengthened him, it was he's, he went off to the Mystics, which was never his destiny. That was meant to be um, Flobberts, because the monks for that specific um, for that specific school approached Flobbert because their powers in well in in this particular world sort of lean towards pacifism it's using mysticism to protect and preserve things oh that's so just, that's super interesting so, so I remembered that flobbert was visited by <laughs> during the time skip my flobbert went back to the island and was adopted uh, and chaffinger back to the island was adopted by flobbert he got to know him learned about all of like his adventures with the party and he was like oh and i got given this leaflet one time so all that chaffinger saw was like ah oh, leaflet more powers mm-hmm. i'm gonna be able to protect my friends better if i have more powers went off um sort of learned everything but because it's a very mind-based thing like it's it's telepathy it's psionics and stuff to do that to someone who already has a large amount of trauma he now sees Sibo like every now and then like when he's when he talks to himself he's not talking to himself he's talking to ren and Sibo. they're not actually them but like he, he thinks it's them and mm. they don't lead him astray it's like not like some weird demonic versions of them it's like ah oh, stab rough in the back it's like it's whatever he thinks they would say to him. So like Ren's always saying like stuff to him like oh do the right thing and all that stuff because Chaffinch he he went from being uh, a a really positive young kid to being extremely traumatized to having this insurmountable quest to protect every living thing now and now he's just not all there like he's not yeah. he's just not all there he's like, he's not a sane person anymore but I think he hides it well because he thinks it's just part of the power. But I think if any anyone ever like sort of told him, like you, there's not there's something not right with you, and you had to confront it, I think that would be the point where you just sort of like crack, um, and sort of, I think it one more traumatic event and it's not going to go well for him, um. But I think he bolstered himself when he found Sibo's possessions and made a bandana out of Sibo's cloak and stuff and found Conker because <laughs> that's like he's a very sentimental person. He's anchored in everything that's happened in his past. So he's sort of like just stuck on all those things, um, but yeah. So he, he's ha- he's had a very bad time, 
and he keeps up appearances now he's no longer depressed he's very like happy and jovial he's like having fun and stuff but that's because he thinks he's okay but he's definitely not <laughs> mm. um when you're talking about like these past like traumatic events that have definitely affected him one of them seems like finding out that the the previous party had died were there any other like big events that uh change him so we talked about like the dragon and that sort of thing where he's found out like the world is a lot bigger than just astral rock are there any others um that were like big defining moments for him yeah i think the first time where we were just fucking about in that in that section of the farewell where there was a bunch of demons like they weren't evil demons i mean they were to an extent but they were peaceable and they were talking to us and they had that village mm-hmm. with the mushroom people who used to eat their own people <laughs> okay um well, I- but, like, when, like, the Death Knight, who'd murdered, like, most of his friends, as soon as he, like, saw him, he just sort of, that, like, sort of anchored his resolve in. That was the part in the Fairwild, which, which sort of, like, solidified, like, I'm not going to take the easy way out, because he's like, I can see my end goal, I'm going to kill that guy. Yeah. Um, and I think it, I think he'd stop it, and nothing to do it. Um, it's like, sort of, and he, he doesn't realise the danger that he's in, because he talks shit to the guy and, like, threatens him. But like not knowing that this guy's extremely powerful, he just sees him as an obstacle that he needs to, because like to him, like the the biggest danger he could be in is fighting a dragon. In the fact, and like the his family, like the party's overcome it before, so he's not that worried, and he's also doesn't mind dying. <laughs> so like, mm. but I feel like the worst end possible for the Chaffinch is him getting to the point where he confronts that guy and he can't get the job done. Like even if he, I think it'd be even worse for him if he survived. It would be pretty nasty. Yeah, it would be to go have that entire journey and then come up short. Yeah, yeah. So like, Um, it still might happen, guys. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's why I made it. That's why I made because if you look at him, he's not the he's not the biggest guy around. Um, he's not the strongest. He doesn't have much HP for um for a monk, so it's sort of like he he'd stand no chance if he he try to do a one on one fight with this guy. But he would try it, and that's the scary thing, because like he's made a paper mache. Okay, so we'll go on to look at my character sheet, because Chaffage is a strange fellow with a lot of decks. Too much decks. Well, <laughs> you can never have so much decks. decks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, decks my character sheet so currently says technician. eleven, but he's level twelve. So, but yeah, man. Just have a flick through. Yeah, well, you got sixteen strength. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say normally if if you go for a monk, the it's usually an either or. You pick a strength or a dexterity. You mm-hmm. only benefit from having one high. So, what made you choose, you know, to be so physically gifted? I think it was just uh for his background. It was like a just a fella thing because he's very strong and fast. Just because all he spends his time doing is running through trees and stuff. Um. And it's just a case of when I initially made him, I wanted him to have enough strength to like restrain people because I had this sort of like grappler thing in mind. But then the more I played him, I was like, it doesn't really fit his archetype. Like if somebody's mm-hmm. loud and boisterous, the last thing they want gonna want to do is sort of like grapple with people. It's they'd be a more finesse based person. Yeah. And uh, but strength is sort of like the reason why I wanted it that high also is because. I wanted him to be sort of like a Spider-Man type character. So, like, when you think of Spider-Man, you think of agility. 
but like say if a building falls on him like he can power out if he really wants to yeah. um so it's just like classic street level superhero stats like a daredevil or a uh spider-man type dude because he is like he hasn't got any like special training until he like joined the mystics so that wasn't until he was like level nine so like he's just all he had, could really train himself with was whatever he had around him and yeah charisma is at an eight because he's insufferable while he is very talkative and very loud that sort of makes him abrasive rather than endearing uh unless he meets someone like Sibo who's uh similar to him mm-hmm was that the reason why you've took like no um like charisma proficiencies because i always thought he might have like a um maybe like persuasion proficiency or something like that um so even though he's you know he's boisterous and loud he might still be able to convince someone through his good deeds or through no because it because he's so um arrogant when he does do something good it sort of like removes any sort of credibility he has right away so like Mm. say if you were wearing a bag in the street somebody ran past snatched it somebody stopped them and the entire time they were giving you the bag back they're like wow that was great wasn't it did you see me do that that was fucking amazing wow aren't i good you'd be like yeah mate thanks you wouldn't be endeared to that person you'd say thank you obviously you'd be thankful that they did it but you wouldn't really (laughs) trust them and you'd be like ah it would just be annoying um so he is that type of person um he's not that way much anymore um he sort of uses his arrogance to try and inspire confidence, even though he's been coloured by the group <laughs> or by both groups as just being overly loud and not really knowing what he's doing, which is fairly true for the most part. Um, but yeah, so the reason why I didn't put anything in charisma is because I didn't want him to be like this all-purpose guy who can do backflips, charm the pants off everyone. I want him to have a very real like setback, and it is his need for validation. Because if you look at his over- overarching story, like he's trying to protect his friends and all that stuff, but it's really also just for him because he doesn't feel safe without a group around him. So he's like mm. everything is for his ends. So he's a little bit selfish. He's got a good heart, but like he won't admit it. But like most of the things he does is for himself, and that sort of makes him a bit abrasive. So I really wanted to put all his proficiencies in like his physical things because. He spent his time alone in the woods just like training and stuff so he's not going to be very good with people mm-hmm. also uh i know that a uh, fifth edition intelligence isn't really needed much but uh i've seen it straight at default zero did you ever consider dropping it lower or taking any more was there a character choice behind that uh no he's got just the baseline intelligence because like he's got a very standard as much as they could cobble together education from the orphanage like they didn't teach her to read and write because i feel like in a fantasy world it's not as important it's very it's very upper class thing to be able to do is read and write i feel like in fantasy settings like like the uh, a ramshackle orphanage on an island while their intentions are good and it's not an orphanage ever treat anyone bad they're not gonna have like the budget to have had loads of quills and stuff and teaching people how to read and write so they, they really just taught them like just the basics of life like what you need to do like he, he's all right with mathematics but he's not he's not like a scribe or anything um yeah, that makes sense. he's it's more like fantasy knowledge like he knows basic things about local religions and stuff how farming works even though like he's not a farmer himself um and they re- like he, he likes chaffinches he's never encountered one he does he doesn't know how to he didn't know at the time how to read the word chaffinch he had to like take the picture of the bird from this bird spotting book to the librarian he's like what's this thing 
Um, and he's just sort of patented himself on that. Um, but yeah, so I have a, yes. I have a question. Um, yeah. if I, uh, but just to piggyback off what you were saying about him being a little bit selfish and a big part of um, the Chaffinch's personality is wanting to get revenge on the Death Knight, like you said, and making sure that the Death Knight gets killed sort of at any cost. Yeah. Um, is part of that for getting revenge for the party that got killed? Is part of that to do with him not being there to protect them when they died? Uh, it's both, really. Like, it would be all of his... All of the things that led him to this point culminate in the demise of the death knight or his own demise like if he defeats the death knight he proved he was stronger than whatever killed his friends so he's mm -hmm. he's doing them a, a service by one avenging them and two becoming something in the world that's strong enough to defeat something that could have defeated his friends who he thought were amazingly powerful so he feels like he's the the thin line between chaos and order which is extremely arrogant to think when you think about it. <laughs> and also, like, it's for himself, because if he believes if he kills this guy, all the bad things going on inside his head will instantly go away. And they won't, which he hopefully he'll get to find out. Um, That'll be some nice post-game trauma. Sort of does like... he think it'll, like, make up for not being there, you know, the first time when they all got killed by the Death Knight? Yeah, that's... Uh, well, he's... he's a character that's just shackled by an immense amount of guilt that's why whenever he sees like when people try and play on like any like sorceress and stuff try and sort of summon astral versions of his friends and stuff it immediately affects him because like it it hits him like a truck he's, he's just full of guilt at all times um he doesn't feel like he deserves to be the one that survived even though he technically didn't survive the conflict he wasn't even in it but like he thinks because he had one like his entire friend group died because he had one disagreement with Devin and that's why even when he goes back and speaks to Flobber he'll have jokes about like how they both hate Devin but he won't if you you'll notice he won't speak too lowly of him because he keeps bringing up the fact that like n neither of them would be able to read if it wasn't for Devin um mm. so he's very although like even the the party members that he didn't get on with he he, he values them like he, they protected him like as much as Torrin didn't like him like he had his back in a fight and like they, they fought wars together they stormed a keep together um and i remember like when chaffinch was still in the party with torrent it was that string where torrent just couldn't catch a break on like landing hits and stuff so i was like dancing around him catching arrows and shit like he doesn't care like if someone doesn't like him because he knows as much as like someone in the party might hate him they have to deal with the fact that chaffinch is a very skilled person and if he can save someone's life and then rub it in their face he'll absolutely do it <laughs> just to roll us back a little bit uh, to the stats because i was just looking for your skills list uh i've seen you've got medicine nature and religion down yeah nature uh makes sense to me that there's probably more to it obviously with you know studying the chaffinch and training in the woods yeah uh, i was wondering what sparked medicine and religion as well was there is there flavor behind that uh yeah so the the religion part of it is just like just because locally um i think i can't remember which god is the one that astral rock practiced to but he's just aware of it just being in the in the orphanage and i can't remember which one of my background things means i had to take that or something that didn't make sense and i feel like um 
just because of the person he is and he's very why he got attached to Ren so much was because in most religions or at least most religions he would have been exposed to um it would have had a very clear moral code it would have had very a good sense of right and wrong what you should do what you shouldn't which is something he needs because he needs to know like what he's got to fight for um mm-hmm. and in terms of medicine medicine was just a part of his childhood really the reason why i put that down is because he'd be running like he's he's in he, for all intents and purposes he's just an idiot kid to begin with so he'd be doing all that stuff like falling out of trees like in his fr- getting his friends to do it his friend like break an arm or something you have to like um sort of <laughs> improvise a, a splint to like keep the so just like getting himself into trouble and in, in the latter part of his life before he left on the adventure he was living on his own so like he was in he was in charge of his health and stuff and going out at night and like trying to steal things and trying to fight quote unquote crime or just like annoy the guards and stuff he would have got bumps and scrapes so he would have just had to fix himself up because if the guards had like stabbed someone in the ass who was pardon pardon me trying to steal something and he turns up at the physician like i've been stabbed in the ass (laughs) you'll obviously know it's him he's stolen whatever so he still has to be self uh self-sufficient to an extent so that's why i put medicine down yeah it makes a lot of sense it's cool so yeah that 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 is the chaffinch uh any more questions before we move on to the, the final section uh, I have one question. Um, in all of your characters, seemingly they've been a part of one big extended family. So Robert and the Hans Danza and Chaffinch and Starlin. Was what was the the conscious decision like behind it? Did it just sort of like spiral sort of out of control? No, it's actually very premeditated because the type of media I always consume and the and the type that compels me the most is media with a through line. So like comics that date back to like the 60s and stuff, they still have an influence on what's happening today. And I'm very big into teams. My favorite comics are X-Men comics because I just like the idea of people coming together, working together, the bonds between people. So having a lineage in the game means like even if my entire party wipes, I still have uh, an anchor to keeps me that keeps me on the world. And mm-hmm. if you look, it, it looks like chaotic from the outside because it starts off with a necromancer in a forest who thinks they summon this half-orc. Half-orc becomes a, an orphan, an orphanage patron and then adopts this wood elf who and also adopts um, this half-elf who has listened to all the stories about the parties that Flubber and um, Chaffinch have told him and modelled himself on Ren and Sibo. Uh, That's why he's a sorcerer with a massive shield. And then you've got No, who was a little gremlin character we encountered in the Feywild, who just as a result of the, the trauma that the Chaffinch had from not being able to protect people, sees this helpless little gremlin thing and was like, I must protect it. And then because he was protecting it for so long, he got attached to it and decided to adopt it. And then because he thought um, he did a good job <laughs> being a dad for like the five seconds he was, he thought it'd be a good idea to give Conker a note to take care of. And it's sort of like I was fascinated by the idea of making a lineage that looked entirely chaotic and had the most minimal effect on the world, but meant the world to the Chaffinch. Yeah. Because I didn't want to go, oh, my bloodline's the greatest in the entire game. We come from kings and stuff, and then Mike has to acquiesce to my made-up bloodline for his plot. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make a legacy that means absolutely nothing to anyone but me. <laughs> 
<laughs> just, just as a side note, it's kind of I approached Sibo uh, and Ruff in the same way yeah. that we talked about in the last uh, session. <laughs> There's something really fun about being so far removed from the main plot, but feeling like your character has like a long line of history that yeah. means mm. nothing to most people, <laughs> apart from like their own family. And I've always just like the idea that none of them are actually related. It's just like people who like come together and they form bonds strong enough that they they want to be part of a family. In the case, that's yeah. the central yeah. part of Chaffinch's characters. He considers his party his family as well. And it's sort of like I really like the idea that we can touch all areas of the world all over. Like we'll go to some random place and there'll be this artifact that looks like something that Hans might have done something with. Um, the the monks that approach Flobert live on some other island other way all the way out but Chaffinch has also been there it's just things like that like everything I consume I enjoy a consistent like universe like even when I watch wrestling mm-hmm. um, my favorite novels are the romance of the three kingdoms which spans like so many years of Chinese history and all the families and all the lineages and stuff like that I just find that fascinating I don't like the idea of just like plonking a character down and then if they die like that's it that's just nothing like, I, also, yeah. I don't want them to be the most important thing to ever happen to Mike's campaign but it's nice to like have those little law things every now and then be like rooted in the environment and stuff as well yeah 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 uh, speaking of law stuff as well so he was just saying about obviously like the family lineage have you planned much stuff with what hans dancer has done with his life or is it very basic and you've just left it up to mike to mess around with things like um, do you feel like he's been all over the place or do you feel like he has lived in a cave all of his life. No, he's only really been on the central continent where his cave is. Like he's travelled all around that land. He's never been at sea. Um, he doesn't trust the ocean. Um, I think that's where his patron lives. Like it's a very Cthulhu type. Um, so he's scared of his own patron. So he doesn't want to go anywhere near the water. Um, but no, I think the only other thing he's affected, which hasn't got anything to do with the family, was that one shot where I made that serial killer bloke who had that hex tech on. That hands had like it's got hands' signature on it, like he made it. Mm. It's uh, all connected. <laughs> yeah, because I like to connect to nearly all my characters. Um, <laughs> I just find it hilarious. Um, that something that Hans has made is accidentally go well. It's not accident. It's premeditated for that guy to kill people, but Hans wouldn't have made it to kill anyone because he's as much as he is crazy. He's not evil. Um, but yeah. Nice, nice, sexy. So uh, the only thing we have to discuss now is the future, um, whether I have any sort of characters planned. And I have two characters planned, which I think will be hilarious. The first one is sort of like, it's it's sort of subconsciously, I didn't realise I'd stolen this idea, but it was definitely stolen when it was pointed out to me. But um, Laura was talking about... um, making a private eye character for that GTA no pixel thing, that online role-playing GTA thing. So I was like, oh. I got that in the back of my head, like private eye. So I had this idea to make this half fairy dude. I would have to like homebrew the race with Mike or whoever is the DM next time if Chaffinch survives to the end of this campaign. Where he, he's just like, he's half fairy. He's called like Oberon Jenkins or Oberon Boba or something like that. Nice reference there, bro. I appreciate that. And like, he just he's just a, a massive douchebag. Like, he's a private eye and he goes around and he's not a private eye out of any sort of sense of service. He just loves just messy information. And like, <laughs> he'd speak in like a typical like, uh, we gotta get 
we gotta get in the car, see? That type of voice. And he'd, like, just be an absolute cock to everyone. He's, like, like say if he arrived on a scene where, like, somebody had been killed, he'd, like, go up to, like, the local farm, like, yeah, what's going on over here, boy? Are these your apples? And, like, push the apples out of his hand. and be like, ah, pick up your apples, man. Uh, what happened here, buddy? Would <laughs> Do you know you, anything um, about this miter? <laughs> would you lean into, like, the gritty noir yeah style that's exactly the time but like he's a massive dick you'll get beaten up by everyone you'll not be physically strong you'll just be just a shit and like <laughs> you'd be like uh, i don't know if any anyone of you watched but i'll bring it back to wrestling vaguely but did anyone watch this year's SummerSlam? i did i did you not. know when goldberg beat dolph ziggler in like a minute <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then he goes up the ramp. Dolph Ziggler's like, you coward. No, you couldn't defeat me, man. The man comes down, spears him again. Yeah. Then he's like, anyone could get lucky twice. Like, <laughs> I want it to be that type of character. It's just like somebody who's just an unrepentant dick. I don't think he'd last that long. But I just think it'd be hilarious just to play that kind of just shit that everyone wants to punch in the face. Um, I guess, like, to a certain extent, Devin was sort of like that in Flashes. But... Which is kind of sort of the like um, some of the inspiration because I like the way Devin played sometimes, like how he was like a little bit of a shit to people. But mm. I wanted to be so someone who's so overtly just a slimy, just terrible person that like the everyone will be exasperated, friends, enemies, <laughs> rulers, even bandits probably were like, oh, I'm, I'm a dick, but I'm not that much of a dick. Just someone who's entirely out for themselves. Like he's not particularly evil. He just only cares about himself. Um, lean, in, lean into that phrase if he had brains he'd be dangerous yeah kind of deal sort of like if um if nix didn't care about anything other than i know he doesn't care about anything but money but like that you can tell that nix is a fully formed person like there's a reason he's <laughs> like that but like this dude would just be an unrepenting douchebag like he'd he'd probably been a bully his entire life like just just a just a cock. I just I just love to play a character like that. Um, my second idea for a character is based on something that I read in J.R. Tolkien's The Silmarillion. Um, so the first few chapters are about like the gods and like how they form the world and like how some gods are evil, some gods aren't. And apparently, one of the good guys, I say in quotation marks, is a storm god who lives on the coast and murders people for fun by creating storms every now and then and and like he gets told off every now and then he's like could you stop doing that please by like because there's like god of the sea and the god of storms and i think the god of the sea has president over him so he's like could you stop doing that he's like all right and he calms down but he's still like a little bit sadistic so i found i can't remember what it was exactly i got them bootmarked um but there is a cleric school that d- deals with thunder and you can fly mm. with it and <laughs> so i was gonna make sort of like a fighter like floaty cleric dude who is basically just an analog to thor but just like he believes himself to be a god and he doesn't care about like the concerns of mortals and the only reason he'd like come along like sort of like classic hercules mentality the only reason he'd go along with a party is so he can like slay big monsters and just like add to his own fame type thing like build up his ego yeah so he'd be just like this unrepentant just lightning slinging egotistical person who doesn't care about anything the party cares about because he believes he's above them and like anything like say if he was part of the party now and we're going through the chaffinch's storyline he would even though like chaffinch is a real like well he's not human but he's very human character he's going through real things like 
this dude, this Storm God guy, would find it entirely hilarious that all these things have affected this kid because he's like, they're mm-hmm. just like mortals. They would have like I've like had several mortal friends like over the years who just died and I don't care type thing. So it's like someone who's like really obviously not god mod level powerful. I'm not gonna hijack a campaign by someone who can defeat everyone, but someone who at least believes himself to be that powerful that they're above everything. Yeah. Like removed from like pleb yeah. problems, yeah. Yeah. So I think that would be hilarious. Because being a sociopath in real life, I'd love to <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you gotta work through that shit in a safe control <laughs> <laughs> I am a living god. In the game. In the game. In the game. In the game. <laughs> Billy, give me your money. In the game. In the game. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's my only that's my only two ideas. I think if like we touched out earlier when we're talking about Flobbit, I think if Chaffinch dies before the end of this campaign, I'll either have Flobbit take his place or Starling as their little brother. Um Starling, I don't think would be able to help at all, but I just think he's a hilarious character. Just like the fact that he's so bad at magic, he has to write his spells on his shield, and the fact that he's a sorcerer and like one bad rule, he could explode the entire party in himself, is so hilarious to me because all of his fighter things deal with protecting people. So like he'll spend like a couple of sessions protecting people and then ignite a level seven fireball on his own head and kill everyone. I was gonna say he held his own in that one shot that you run where you NPC'd him. Yeah, he's really cool. I really love the idea of playing uh, like the Terry and Derrington, where you're underleveled compared to the rest of the party, but just <laughs> yeah. trying to do your best. Like, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's, that's my that's my characters. It's good stuff. We had a good chat. We learned some things, had some laughs. We did, and then big bands. Yeah. <laughs> all the bands. Well, yeah, that's it for another Thank episode you for, of... Yeah. Thanks for coming on our show, Gary. That was... This is yeah, my show going down. 